Hey, all Post Theology listeners, this is your host, Josh McNall, back for another episode at the Frontier of Theology, Culture, and the Church. This is a bonus episode that we're releasing just in time for Election Day. And my guest is Michael Ware. He is a member or has been a member of the And Campaign. We're going to be talking about the And Campaign's new book, Compassion and Conviction, the And Campaign's Guide to Faithful civic engagement. But I want to give a little disclaimer here. If you're a little bit weary from this election season, then honestly, you know, who's not? This is not going to be an episode where we tell you who to vote for. It's not going to be an episode where we bash one side or another. It's going to be an episode specifically for Christians who want to know how can we engage faithfully in civic issues without becoming the clanging gongs of social media and cable news. I think we need that more than ever. So I'm really excited for this interview. As always, if you can go to wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a nice, honest review, it really helps us to get the episode out there. And now for Michael Ware and the And Campaign. The And Campaign isn't against Christian participation in political parties. We're against Christians placing their identities and faith in political parties. We're against replacing the compassion and conviction of the gospel with flawed political ideology. Well, that statement is from the End Campaign, and I'm here to talk about their new book, Compassion and Conviction, the End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And I've got one of the authors here with me, Michael Ware. Well, welcome to Outpost Theology. So glad to be with you. Happy to be doing this. Where are you joining us from today? Uh, Northern Virginia, right outside of uh, Washington, D.C. All right. Good deal. Well, I, I wanted to talk to um, wanted to talk to you because one of the things that I've just really been excited about recently is the AND campaign and uh, this this move towards faithful civic engagement that is not coming from a, a really bitter partisan uh, vantage point, but for, for folks maybe who haven't heard of the AND campaign, can you talk about how the organization started? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So AND campaign is a Christian civic organization that's working to uh, educate Christians for faithful civic participation. Uh, it was founded by uh, Justin Gibney, AND campaign's president, and Show Baraka, the Christian artist, and Angel Maldonado, uh, uh, a pastor. Uh, and, you know, it, it came out of, I think, Justin's sense that uh, uh, Justin had, had spent time working in local politics in Atlanta, and had just found that, uh, that, that Christians could be uh, isolated, Christians working in politics could could be isolated and that that isolation spread to Christians that were citizens that were involved in civic life at all, that there wasn't really a, a vehicle uh, for you to, to be a part of if you wanted to make sure that you were invested in the well-being of uh, your neighbors and how politics affects that without sort of making an idol of politics. And so uh, the AND campaign comes out of this notion that, uh, you know, that our politics is full of false dichotomies, dichotomies between compassion and conviction, between truth and love, uh, between social justice and moral order. Uh, and and campaign is saying, no, 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 those, those dichotomies don't come from the gospel. The gospel is about, uh, about both and. It's about truth and love. It's about righteousness 
uh, and compassion. And so, uh, and so, uh, and campaign was founded, uh, kind of it got started around 2016 and became a, a much more formal organization in about 2018. And then uh, it's just been an amazing uh, past couple of couple of years and uh, so grateful to be a part of it. Yeah. Well, I think I first saw it on social media, just like everything these days, I suppose. Yeah. And, uh, and it was primarily, I think it was from a couple of my African-American buddies who had, who'd shared the content. And one of the things that stood out to me right away was that this was trying to do something different than just, uh, what I've been might be more exposed to, which was the sort of traditional white evangelical, very much right wing, you know, yeah. only approach to, to politics. And, and one of the things I appreciated when I was kind of reading up on you guys is that you're welcoming of folks who are Republicans, who are Democrats, who are independent people like me or, you know, registered independent, but really trying to break down this hyper-partisan um, divide within yeah. the church, especially. And so I appreciate that. Well, and it's so important. Um, you know, we're not saying that uh, Christians need to agree on everything. Actually, that's part of the point. The politics is this prudential penultimate thing. It's not ultimate. It's not, we don't need to agree on it. Like we need to agree that Jesus is Lord. And sometimes the way people talk about politics, uh, it, it makes it sound like that. What, what we are saying, though, is as Christians, there ought to be something that unites us. There ought to be something that unites us beyond the partisan divides. And Anne Campaign is trying to reflect that. And so, yeah, we're, we, we have Republicans, independents, Democrats. And, um, it, you know, it, it's about um, uh, making sure that we aren't getting our marching orders from, as you read in the quote, political ideologies and parties that have their own, their own interests. And instead, trying to make sure that we're operating out of a biblical framework. And, and, and that's what the book is about. Yeah. Well, you have another quote that I appreciated later in the book. And you say, it's a question. Is it, do you advocate for social justice or family values? Do you support women or are you against abortion? Do you love the poor or do you believe in personal responsibility? And then the, the, the response is, don't answer those questions, or at least not in the way they're asked. They're based on a false premise and thus create a false dilemma for Christians. And I know for a lot of us, I'm, you know, I, I keep referring to myself as a younger, a younger evangelical, but I'm like 38. So I don't know if that's it's hard to know when to stop. Like if you, <laughs> if you start off as that, yeah, it's hard to make that break. <laughs> I'm a professor. So I guess you're considered a younger professor until you're like, at least in your fifties, but oh, yeah, uh, you've had some time. Yeah. <laughs> But for for younger evangelicals like me, it's like, man, I feel I feel completely homeless, politically speaking. Um, when I talk to older, maybe boomer evangelicals from their perspective, man, if you're not just all on board with kind of the right wing uh, agenda, then then you're insane. Right. Yeah. And then from another angle, you, you seem just as insane if you're advocating for biblical values and biblical truth and the sanctity of life and things like that. And so for those of us who feel homeless politically, which is absolutely me, um, what are some things that the Ann campaign, or maybe just you individually, would say that, that would be sort of helpful for us in thinking through how we engage? Yeah, so, so I, I've said before, you know, the crisis is not that Christians are politically homeless. 
The crisis is that Christians ever thought they could find a home in politics at all. And so what that means is um, we just need to reconcile our facts, uh, ourselves to the, to the fact that we're, um, we're the idea that there's going to be some permanent political home for us where there's no tension at all is just not reality. C.S. Lewis uh, talks about this as a, a little-known essay, um, although yeah, I once called it a little-known essay when I, was, when I was giving a lecture at Cambridge, and, and it was like, oh, there are no little-known CSOs here. Um, he, he, like, wrote on a napkin one time, and now yeah, it's, in exactly. a, it's in a... Yeah. yeah, they have it framed. They have the napkin framed on the wall of the lecture hall. Um, <laughs> but uh, he wrote this essay, Meditations on the Third Commandment, in which he reflects on uh, whether there should be a Christian political party in the UK. And he ultimately basically sides against it and, and, and not too harshly, but um, one of the things he warns is, you know, when you combine faith and politics, there's the, there's the temptation to claim God has said when he has not spoken. Mm. And so all of a sudden you have a, you know, as he lays out, you set up a pol political party. Well, that party has to ha have positions on not just the primary issues that motivated you, mm -hmm. but on things that affect the things that come up, things that a political party has to speak into. And it's very easy to all of a sudden start claiming that your position on, on you know, the rate at which capital gains should be taxed <laughs> is, the, is the Christian position. Yeah. Oh, those bums who want it at 25% and those yeah. who want it at 15, they're heretics. 20 is the way to go. Right. Um, and you just want to be uh, really uh, careful about that. You, you, you know, our, especially in, uh, uh, you know, so, so I'm, I'm careful. I haven't done, I'm not sure what the Christian call to political involvement is across time and place, right? Mm -hmm. This is about uh, American Christians, those who are in representative democracies, you know, as a Christian in this country, you don't have a choice whether to have political influence. You you have it. You're a citizen. The choice is the how is how to steward the responsibility and influence that you've been given. Like with, with like to say, oh, like I check out of the system, it just isn't an option for us. You're already checked in by virtue of being here, um, and so that changes how we think about. Uh, I think it it changes how we think about. Uh, 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 culpability. It changes how we think about sort of what our stake is in our environment. Um, uh, and so, you know, these are the kinds of things that we talk about at the end campaign. Uh, we, we talk about the fact that um, uh, when you're in a political party, uh, you have no obligation to follow everything that party does. You don't join a party for that party to influence you. You join a party to influence the party. Mm -hmm. There, there's often this like misconception that like when you go to the DMV, register to vote, register for a political party, but there's like some fine print at the bottom that says, I hereby sign over every jot and tittle. I hereby sign over my conscience to every jot and tittle of the party platform. That yeah. doesn't exist. Right. Political parties are supposed to be vehicles for mediating different opinions under an umbrella. And too often we treat them as they want to be treated, frankly, which are just as brands, mm -hmm. as identity markers. And for Christians, we shouldn't be thinking about political parties or, or even the candidates that we support in, in that way. Yeah. 
Well, I read your essay in the new uh, Zondervan book on cultural engagement, and we just actually read it in the class that I teach called Church and Culture. And that was one of the things I found helpful because I suppose I've, and one of the reasons I'm registered as an independent is I suppose I have kind of viewed it the opposite way. Like, well, I can't sign on to either of these things, right? With a clear conscience, at least, especially right now, right now where it's so polarized, so bitterly divided. And so one of the things that I found helpful, at least it made me think was your, your claim that we join parties to change them, not to, you know, sort of sign on to every bit of the platform or, or something like that. Um, which, yeah, no, which, you, so, right. So like you have a responsibility for, um, and obviously this is different for each individual given, you know, if you're, if you're someone who writes a lot or runs a podcast, uh, then it, the responsibility that you have is commensurate with your platform and how much you're, you're expressing your views. But like you have, a, I have a responsibility for, for saying that, these are the ways in which I disagree with the political party, mm. which I am a part. But yeah. like, it's so important. Like none of this political parties are liquid things. Nothing that they believe is set in stone. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know if I give the example in that chapter, but you know, in, in 2016, the sitting president, uh, so the leader of the Democratic Party, his chief foreign policy priority was something called the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It was a trade deal. With um, with 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 um, uh, countries in Asia, mm-hmm. um, uh, it was his chief foreign policy priority. Bernie Sanders was running in the Democratic primary, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, specifically speaking out against that deal. Mm-hmm. And though he didn't win the primary, he had garnered enough support that the Democratic Party platform in 2016, if you read it. Uh, basically, he says something along the lines of, you know, party platforms are, you know, we believe this strongly and, you know, mm-hmm. Republicans are awful and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and this is what we're fighting for. When it comes to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, it basically says, well, like, <laughs> we'll agree to disagree. Like, yeah. you know, good Democrats can, can have different opinions on this issue. Mm-hmm. Very similar, by the way, to how the Democratic Party platform uh, discuss the issue of abortion in 2000, for instance, mm. where there was an explicit uh, language in the program, uh, in the platform, welcoming pro-life Democrats to all levels of leadership within the party. That, that language is gone. Language like it could come back. Uh, language in the Republican Party platform addressing issues like uh, refugee acceptance or a social safety net or any number of policies. That can change. It won't change if there aren't people within the party who are willing to speak up for those things. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the old adage that you can't reform organizations that you leave, you know, you've heard. But I also think, and here's one of the things I get dinged for on this podcast. Everybody says I'm too nice to all the guests and I never like push back. So, so here's... So here's the, here's the question. Well, I'm not even like asserting this as, I'm, as if I'm sure that it's correct, but... At some point, I think most people would say a platform becomes so sort of unbiblical or unjust that to say that I'm sticking around to reform it almost becomes morally culpable, right? So for instance, I mean, the old, I hate to even 
pick this analogy because it's ridiculous, but like, like say the Nazi party, you're like, well, I'm sticking around to, cause I want to, I'm not, I don't agree, but I want to reform it. Right. Uh, at some point you're like, well, that's, that ship has sailed, man. Like, and, and, and not even, not only that, but they're going to be like, we don't want you around. <laughs> like, right. please, please leave. So have you wrestled with that in your own life? Like where, how that, how to think through that? Cause I like your idea that we are yeah. called to transform the parties, but clearly at some point there is a, a point of no return, right? Yeah. So, so I, I think that's right. And I think people need to ask for themselves, you know, where that point is for them informed by scripture informed by Christian tradition. You know, what I'm, um, in, in the chapter in the book you mentioned, and, and just generally, you know, who I'm really speaking to are, are those who uh, can't find any cause that they're willing to join, can't find any party that is perfect enough for them, yeah. uh, can't find uh, any sort of uh, statement that says it just right, that they could sign on to it. Politics is just not an individualistic endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, certainly, you know, there are uh, individuals for whom uh, I provide space for in, in sort of my thinking who would just be personally sort of uh, uh, their conscience would be overly burdened by by even participating in a political party. And and this isn't directed at individuals. Uh, it, it's it's directed at um uh, sort of generally for the, for folks to ask themselves the question, uh, for, for, for folks to really assess and maybe reframe the way that they're thinking about political parties. I, I, I just tend to think it's, it's um, look, it, it is in the interest of political parties to, and it is the way our politics is functioning now, uh, to uh, layer more moral burden on voters. Mm. And we have something in our politics now called uh, affective polarization, Mm. which basically means that people are uh, Republicans, not because they really value the Republican Party's ideals, or they're Democrats, not because they really value the Democratic Party's ideals, but because they hate the other side so much. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That that they're so sort of... uh, and the parties play into that. The parties understand it's much harder to make a case for what you stand for than just saying the other. And so we have this politics right now that plays up sort of the the, the moral, uh, the immoralities or the, you know, um, the false, you know, positions or ideas of the other side without ever making it, without ever having to make a case for who you are and what you believe. <laughs> and that's sort of what I want Christians to start asking. Well, what is your, what is your position? But how do you work through these issues? Is there a political party? Uh, is there a way to to steward your influence in a way that is more likely to advance a general vision of well-being, a, a way that is uh, more likely to advance the well-being of your neighbors than the alternatives? And if so, that's how you should be thinking about politics, not sort of how do I make my way through this without with the least amount of with the least amount of tension possible. Like, like, how do I how do I how do I make political decisions in a way that I look the best and yeah. that, that I can say I'm the pure one? Uh, that, that's that's not how this works. Yeah, no, that's helpful. So as we think about influencing our political process, um, 
obviously we can vote, you know, and uh, as Christians, I think that's important to, to steward your vote well. But I, f- I feel like sometimes we invest so much energy in especially the top of the ticket. Like right now, it's all about yeah. Trump versus Biden, you know, and I'll be honest, I live in Oklahoma, right? That's not... <laughs> Oklahoma is not a swing state, you know, even this year, even this year, it's not. And so what are some things that the AND campaign is involved with beyond just voting and beyond, especially just the top of the ticket where Christians can influence the culture in a redemptive way? What are some kind of advice, pieces of advice that you would have for Christians in that arena? Yeah. So just real quickly, uh, um, I mean, I mean, the voting down ballot is really important. Mm-hmm. So many of the issues that are driving sort of civic engagement now, think of, you know, criminal justice reform, like 95% of criminal justice reform happens at the local and state level. Like, mm-hmm. like whoever's elected president can make, take some actions, uh, but uh, uh, sort of uh, um, in perspective, the president has very little to do with what happens uh, uh, when it comes to law enforcement. Um, and so voting down ballot counts a great deal. But beyond voting, which I agree with you is essential, um, there are all kinds of uh, forms of civic engagement that you can get involved uh, with. We, we At the end campaign, we launched an initiative called the Prayer and Action Justice Initiative. Um, that would encourage uh, folks to check out it was launched with a, a relatively you know unprecedented coalition including the church of god in christ denomination and the national association of evangelicals and prison fellowship and a whole whole range of, of partners we, we we would be here for a while if i listed all of them and we're grateful for all of them um uh but but that effort um looks at things like um obviously uh, prayer and how you could be praying for uh, uh, elected officials, how you could be praying for those who are not elected, but appointed to positions related to criminal justice reform uh, points out uh, 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 the fact that, you know, when you're um, uh, thinking about sort of your local sheriff or your mayor or your city council members, these are actually I think when people think about political engagement, it's like, oh, how could I ever get the president to like listen to what I have to say? Well, at the local level, it's actually not that not that hard. They're just closer to you. They represent fewer people. I think people would be surprised, and I, I learned this in my time in politics. People would be surprised. You get together five, ten of your friends to write uh, a letter on an issue to a local council member, a uh, county executive, um, and. and they they see that <laughs> like mm-hmm. like that actually affects their decision making to hear from especially constituents so so elected officials that 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 re- actually represent you um, for for those officials to hear from you it's powerful the the other thing we talk about a lot is you know the importance of of mediating institutions mm-hmm. that again politics isn't an an individualistic endeavor I, I think. Um, especially younger people are so entrepreneurial and there's so much sort of self-representation uh, that, that, that we can do our own social media platforms. Mm-hmm. We can launch our own fundraising campaigns. Uh, again, politics doesn't often work that way. Uh, uh, we urge people to think about 
What are the mediating institutions, the the nonprofits, the the, the coalitions um, that that you can come alongside of and volunteer at, support? You know, like organizations like well, Prison Fellowship for one, like they have an entire government affairs team that is given the vocation by God to engage with policymakers on an issue like criminal justice reform. And so that would be another way to actually, you don't have to take on all of the burden yourself. You can actually participate and support organizations that are doing this work. Um, And and then just finally, I'd say, you know, we encourage uh, folks to think about, obviously, you know, running for office themselves, if that's something they feel they're called to do, but also things like attending your local school board meeting, Mm. attending local town halls, getting to know your local elected officials to the extent that you can. Again, those kinds of personal connections, they, they, they actually can happen at the local level in a, in a way that um, can, can make a difference. Yeah, that's helpful. And for folks who are like, maybe you're just like driving down the road right now, just sort of some of the things we've talked about. Number one, rejecting these false dichotomies between, let's say, racial justice and sanctity of life or uh, concern for women versus, you know, sanctity. And then secondly, rejecting this idea that you have to sign on to every aspect of a party platform in order to be engaged with the party. And then thirdly, this commitment to to think locally and act locally rather than just getting all swept up in the tsunami of the top of the ticket. You know, uh, I wanted to talk about social media specifically. Um, Cause for me, that has been an area where <laughs> I've, I've just had to rethink my political engagement. And so I'll give you an example in 2016, um, like a lot of younger evangelicals, I was just sort of horrified by some of the things that were happening. And, you know, I wrote a blog post, I think the blog was very winsomely titled, uh, why I'd rather lose my religious liberty than vote for Donald Trump. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, as blog posts sometimes do, it just sort of took off. And all of a sudden, it's just, it's everywhere. And I'm getting inundated with, with praise and hate and (laughs) people who want to make me king and people who want to get me fired and everybody, you know, it's all hitting me in, in this cycle. I haven't just like everybody else. I haven't changed my mind at all. Right. My, my opinions are very much the same, but what I have changed is my opinion about the effectiveness of platforms like Facebook and things like that to actually sort of redemptively enter into the conversation. And I've, I've been more hesitant this cycle to just live blog my way through (laughs) (laughs) because I've, I've started to wonder if I'm just generating ad revenue for these massive tech companies and not actually doing anything redemptive for the kingdom of God. Right. And so I've, I've been torn on how to engage on social media because I, I think it is important to speak up, especially in certain contexts. Um, so do you have any advice for Christians as they think about how their Christianity comes to bear on politics, specifically in the uh, sort of cesspool of social media? Yeah. Yeah. I have a whole, I have, I have many thoughts. We do a whole episode uh, on this. I mean, a few scattered thoughts. One is I think this, um, 
this really unhelpful burden has been placed on folks where where they're they're made to feel like if if they don't take up every opportunity to express their point of view uh that somehow like they're not being faithful or they they don't really believe uh what they say they believe and i that's another one of those burdens i just like to free people from there there are some conversations that are just not going to be edifying for you or the person yeah. that you're talking with. You don't have to post on literally every single thing. You, don't. you you really don't. You need to you don't need to reply to every every person. You don't need to extend a debate with everyone who posts on everything you post. And so that'd be one thing. The second thing I'd say, I have two general sort of social media sort of rules I I, I try to follow. Um, one is about the content you put out, and then the other is the content you receive. On the content you receive, look, politics is difficult and complicated and, and prudential. Uh, and if you are re- receiving, consuming news information and opinion, and over the course of a week, you are not reading something that leads you to think that you might be wrong about an issue mm-hmm. or a perspective that you had, or that the perspective that you have might be uh, not adequately factoring in uh, what you have now come to think might be really important factors, then you need to think about whether your consumption is set up uh, to feed your own ego as opposed to feeding your mind. And those are two, those are two different things. Um, And so, so just, I I urge you, it's a great like test for folks to have, keep track of the, the news information that you're consuming over the next week. And, and, and see and keep track of if you've questioned anything because of it. And if not, you're, you reevaluate what you're consuming. And then in terms of what you put out, um, if you look back on your last 10, 15 Facebook posts or Twitter posts, and uh, they are entirely either boosting your own political side or just you know demolishing your uh, quote unquote political opponents. Mm-hmm. That's an that's another thing. You just might want to just might want to question. A- am I using? Am I, it, has my voice become completely sort of subsumed under someone else's interests and uh, some other ideology? Um, or 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 is my voice reflecting someone who's who's actually? Uh, conveying some independence of thought. Now, you can go overboard with this. There are some people who uh, seem, seem to uh, um, who, who uh, sort of play games with sort of what they, what they post and, and want to show how independent they are. That's mm-hmm. not, that's not the, the, you know, pay, t- pay attention to your heart motivation here. Like, pay yeah. attention to, um, uh, you're not, this isn't, politics is not about just self uh, representation and pursuing validation, but that's what it's become. And we need to free ourselves of some of those, some of those desires and some of those emotional needs that, that we're going to politics for um, that, that, that makes it really unhealthy. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, again, that's one of the things I've appreciated about the end campaign is this refusal to be sort of pigeonholed or only to speak up. And that's another thing I see with Christians. It's like, it's like, I, I totally agree with you on the importance of the sanctity of life, 
but I disagree with you that that is the only issue that matters for Christians or for the world. Right. And I totally agree with you for the need for, you know, racial justice and police reform and all that. I, I disagree though, that that is the only issue that Christians should care about. And so even just the, the simple, you know, logo of the Ann campaign to try to, uh, to get past some of those uh, just sort of pigeonholed approaches I, I found helpful helpful yeah you know and this is a really difficult thing to say and it's not to you you don't need to embrace relativism in order to say uh sort of in the political realm in order to say this uh if you can't fathom if you can't understand why someone would be voting differently in this election or any other why someone would vote differently than you that's not a they problem that's a you problem. <laughs> that, 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 I mean, so often we sort of, oh, I don't understand what they could even be thinking. Well, think harder. <laughs> you know, yeah. listen, listen to them. <laughs> listen to what people are saying. That doesn't mean you need to you need to concede that they have the right priorities. That doesn't mean you need to concede that they're seeing it the right way. But this sort of fabricated, um, gosh, I, I I don't even know what they could possibly be thinking. It is really a sign that you that you might be in a in a bubble of your own. Like yeah. like you know this this election, no matter how it turns out, it's not going to be ninety five percent to five percent. You know, there's going to be a huge section of this country that in the presidential election and most other elections that happen in the country, uh, they're going to be relatively relatively close. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a huge minority of the country that lose that their candidate loses. And we're still going to have to live together. And right. so as Christians, we could do some real work to, um, I talk a lot about, uh, you know, Paul's admonition in Galatians um, to bear another's burdens. And for me, part of what that means in the political realm is, is that we actually need to take it upon ourselves to, to lift up and, and give attention to the concerns that even those Christians, especially Christians that we disagree with politically, have even if we disagree with their sort of overall priorities they actually as as brothers and sisters in christ we have an we have an obligation uh to bear their burdens even if even though they aren't our own yeah. uh, and and that that could be really helpful not just to the church although the church needs it but but the country needs it pretty desperately right now yeah and i think that importance for christians to to listen but also just to learn some empathy for folks who are looking at these issues from a different perspective or who come down differently, you know, Uh, not that we all have to agree, but that we need to try to, to understand, you know, other perspectives. So, well, maybe last question, uh, because I know you've got to go and, but what do you do? What are some disciplines that you've implemented? Cause you're a person who's been active in the political process in a variety of ways to guard your soul uh, from what I think is one of the great dangers in the church right now, and that is turning politics into an idol. Um, And essentially your primary religion becomes politics, right? Rather than um, Christ. So there's some practices that you've implemented in your, in your just daily routine or in, in different ways to allow you to be engaged in the political process without it becoming a kind of all encompassing idol in, in your life. Yeah, so it's been different depending on vocationally what my responsibilities have been. So I've I've worked 
you know, I've had former formal roles on political campaigns before, and that's required a different way of thinking about this than uh, when I've, you know, just been like a private, not, not a, you know what I mean, like a private citizen who, who doesn't have an official sort of capacity. I, I'll tell you, so in 2012, I was involved in the presidential campaign and um, uh, I asked six uh, Republican brothers in Christ to be on a conference call with me um, weekly. Um, and um, I gave them permission to hold me accountable on a, a few personal things. Uh, I, I, I had a, I'd gotten uh, married less than a year before this campaign and I was off to Chicago uh, um, living away from my wife and we'd only we'd only been married for a matter of months and so there were some personal issues I wanted them to to keep in touch with me on but uh one thing I said was you know hey I'm not responsible for you know everything that comes out of this campaign but for stuff that comes out of my shop for stuff that comes out of my mouth uh I said I want you to let me know if you ever think I'm coming up uh, to or crossing the line of suggesting that my candidate is that my candidate is the Christian candidate, mm. or that real Christians will vote for my because I had just seen the way faith and politics had inter, interacted in the past and and seen that like that that's the easiest thing that you could do if you're mm. if you're officially working for a candidate uh, uh, and trying to get people of faith to vote for them. Who cares about arguments? Who cares about sort of making prudential judgments? Just tell them if, if you really believe in Jesus, uh, you'll vote for my guy. That's the easiest thing to do. And, and I knew that the temptations are there and all, all the forces are going there. Um, and so, so that's an example of something I've done. In, in my personal life, you know, there, I just, there are people I won't break relationship with because of their, because of their we politically disagree. No, I'll break relationship with people who are like needlessly belligerent towards me or, you know, like, again, this is not about sort of forcing yourself into situations that are just not going to be edifying for anybody. But there are folks I really strongly disagree with politically, um, who I'm especially intentional to make sure that that not only am I remaining in relationship with them, but that I'm supporting their endeavors, um, that I'm not... um, that I'm not ultimatizing sort of our, our political views because we share uh, many more important things in, in common. Yeah, no, that's helpful. And it's especially helpful for us in this season as we're approaching uh, another election. So Michael, where I want to say thanks, you've been gracious and thoughtful and uh, I love what the AND campaign is doing. The book again is Compassion and Conviction, the AND campaign's guide to faithful civic engagement. And thanks for joining us on Outpost Theology today. So good to be with you. Thanks so much. Hey, you did it. You made it through another episode of Outpost Theology. As always, if you can go to wherever you download your podcast, leave us a nice, honest review. If you found this episode helpful, we'd appreciate it if you would share it, maybe on social media or with friends. Thanks to Michael Ware and the Anne Campaign, and we'll see you next time on Outpost Theology.